If you have a Bible, please do open it up to Genesis. We are carried on in chapter 39. Let me read the story to us now. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field, And so he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her, or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And then she told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to make, me, to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Thanks, Phil. Over to you. Well, good morning. It's good to be here once again, looking together at the Bible. And I realise this might sound a bit like deja vu, but let me begin the second sermon in a row by telling you about where I'm filming this sermon from. I'm in our front room. And I imagine from your first impressions, it's not a serene place to be. The picture on the wall behind me is all wonky. 
The curtain is hanging badly and quite frankly, I'm looking like a scruff. But if I get my trusty cameraman to pan around the room, what you see is a completely different story. In comparison to how I and my immediate surroundings look, this is a beautiful room. Blankets are draped creatively over the sofa. The cleared coffee table sits serenely in front of the fireplace. And there are some beautifully placed ornaments on the mantelpiece. Now, as you can see, I'm back to normal. And I'm not showing this for effect, nor to make up for last week's mess. Rather, I'm showing it to us because I think it's a great illustration of the contrast between the chapter we saw last week and the chapter that we read just a few minutes ago. You see, last week, we looked at the story of Judah, who from one perspective seemed to have it all. He had the wife, the family, the career, the friends. But behind the scenes, his life was a car crash. His lust was out of control. He had no integrity. He had no morals. Spiritually, he was as far from God as he could possibly be. But in contrast to Judah, our passage about Joseph tells a completely different story. You see, on the surface, Joseph looked like he had nothing. His life looked like a, a car crash, and every time he seemed to be doing well for himself, just as it looked like he was climbing out of the muck of life, it seemed as though fate dealt him a bad hand. From one perspective, it seemed as though Joseph, Joseph's life was a mess. And yet, as we'll see in our passage, underneath it all, behind the camera, so to speak, his life was beautiful. In spite of what was seen, his heart was right with God. He was in a good place. Joseph was a man who walked with God so well that whatever happened to him, his life was anchored by his relationship with God, and that was unshakable. And in many ways, this is a chapter we need to read today because many of us are going through difficult times. Life seems to be a mess and we're wanting to know how to cope with it, both spiritually and emotionally. And we want to know how, it, how we deal with it so it doesn't shake us. Joseph is a man who walked with God. And as we go through our passage, I pray that we'll find that unshakable trust in God that he had. There are three things in our passage that we learn as we look at Joseph. And the first is anchoring ourselves in God grows character. Anchoring ourselves in God grows character. Joseph was sold as a slave uh, uh, to, to some men who, who took him down to Egypt. There he had no friends, no money. And also there was a, probably a, a language barrier. And he was sold to a man called Potiphar as verse 1 tells us. Look with me at verse 1 of Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Uh, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So Joseph began life as a slave in Egypt on the bottom rung of the bottom ladder in Potiphar's household. And yet in spite of circumstances, God was with him. In other words, Joseph had a strong relationship with God. Verse 2 tells us this. The Lord was with Joseph, so Joseph prospered. 
And we're told in verse 3 as well that, Jot, uh, that Potiphar uh, saw that the Lord was with him. So verse 3 says this, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favour in his eyes and became his attendant. It's a remarkable phrase because whatever hardship life has thrown at Joseph, what stands out about his life is his relationship to God. And everyone notices it, including Potiphar. And that's why he was promoted and eventually uh, was put in charge of the whole household. And in this sense, what you see in Joseph's life up to this point of the story is a man whose character has been shaped by God. Because behind all the circumstances of Joseph's life, God's hands mould Joseph to be the man God wants him to be. So, for example, in the midst of Joseph's broken family, God speaks to him in a dream. And it's a measure of his trust in God that he shares that revelation with the rest of his family. In, in other words, he sees the people who need to hear God's word. And in spite of knowing it would drive a wedge between them, Joseph does what God wants him to do. He shares God's word with them. But where did that get him? Sharing God's word with his brothers landed him in slavery. And yet we're told in the midst of this tragedy, the Lord was with Joseph. In other words, Joseph trusted God. He knew God. He loved God. He trusted God's word and God's promises in spite of his circumstances. So night after night, as those slave traders took him down to Egypt, his comfort was God's word to his family. His comfort was God's promises that said one day God's people would be a great nation and would be given the land of Canaan and would be, blessed, would be a blessing to all nations. Those are the things that anchored Joseph's character and shaped his behaviour, even when he was in the household of Potiphar. Now, just to explain, character is what the Bible calls heart, and it's talked, a lot, uh, talked about a lot in the Bible. So Proverbs 4.23 tells us, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Character in the Bible is another word that describes who we are. And a good character is found in the person who anchors their life in God. Someone who immerses themselves in what God says. Who listens to God and speaks to God so that God shapes them. Now that doesn't happen overnight. Character is something that is cultivated over time. It's cultivated through time with God, in prayer and reading his word, through meditation, by deliberately crossing paths with God and God's people so that his word and his ways saturate our being. So that when trials come, the person of character has developed, developed spiritual disciplines spiritual fibre and moral muscles that mean the natural instinct is to do what, God's, what God wants them to do, to follow his ways, even when his ways are difficult or go against what everyone else would normally do. In many ways, it's a bit like the way we've all had to be really deliberate, deliberate about exercise in lockdown. 
I'm sure I, I'm not the only one who's realised the need for a deliberate time of exercise each day over the last few months. Some of us have taken up an exercise challenge like Couch to 5K. Others are following Joe Wicks or, or many other uh, internet gurus who are kicking us into shape. Now, underneath all these attempts to be healthier lies the truth that if we don't exercise, we're going to put on weight, we're going to lose our shape and even become dangerously lethargic. Well, in the same way, growing Christian character is about being deliberate about spiritual disciplines that draw us closer to God. And there are a couple of reasons why that's important. Firstly, such is the nature of life that trials will come our way. And we need to be in a spiritual condition that enables us to cope with them well. By that, I, I mean being so anchored in God that trials and disappointments and tragedies do not overwhelm us. They don't shake us, but rather become part of the seasons of life and they grow our faith, actually. And like physical exercise, unless we're deliberate about spiritual exercise, then spiritually we can lose our shape. We can be drawn away from the healthy spiritual dis disciplines uh, th that grow us or, or even become dangerously spiritually lethargic. But, but secondly, God has called us, his church, to be his instrument by which others might know his love too. So a spiritually healthy church is one that speaks loudly into this world because of the character of the people in it. You know, one commentator I was reading um, this week put it like this. The world might not read our Bible, but it does read God's people. So just like Joseph was a testimony to God's hand upon him in Potiphar's household, so too God's people today are a testimony to God's hand upon them in this secular world. But that brings us to our second point, and it's this. Anchoring ourselves in God shapes our response to temptation. Anchoring ourselves in God shapes our response to temptation. So on the surface, it looks like Joseph has had a big break. Look at verse four and five with me. It says this, Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. The blessing of the Lord was upon everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And yet in the midst of success came possibly the hardest test of Joseph's character. Verse six and seven says this. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. And then on in verse 11 and 12, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. It doesn't take much of an imagination to work out what kinds of thoughts would have been running through Joseph's mind at this point. He was the master of Potiphar's household. He was young. The hormones would have been in overdrive. 
He organised everybody's timetables so it wouldn't have been difficult to carve out a few minutes of alone time with this woman. He was trusted. No one would know. There were a thousand and one reasons why this might seem to be an offer he couldn't refuse. So the pressure to give in must have been relentless. And yet verse 10 tells us Joseph stood firm. It says this, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. How do you explain it? The answer lies with Joseph himself. The character that God had formed in him over the previous years. Joseph was able to deal with this temptation because of God's work in his heart. Joseph was no spiritual snowflake, in other words. God had forged in him a godly character. He was a young man with a moral compass resolutely set on following God. So he saw things differently. That explains his response in verses 8 and 9. He refused. And later on in in verse 8, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph's first reason is that to sleep with her would be to betray Potiphar's trust. But his second reason is something we rarely consider in these circumstances, but it's by far the stronger reason. To sleep with Potiphar's wife would have been a sin against God. That's why he says in verse 9, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? One of the features of a godly character is that it recognises a thing for what it is and calls it out for what it is. Sin is sin. That's why Joseph is so blunt here. He has the moral strength to call out what she wanted for what it was. It was a sin against the living God. And it it underlines what often happens in temptation. When we're being tempted, sometimes we stop calling the thing we are being tempted to do sin. That's why we use other words. It's a little naughtiness, a weakness, a momentary lapse. In this instance, even love. As long as it's between two consenting adults, what could be wrong with it when both have their needs met? But Joseph identifies it and names it for what it is. And in doing so, he raises those moral defences. To sleep with another man's wife is a wicked thing and a sin against God. So Joseph fought the temptation with truth. What's more, he takes practical steps to put himself out of temptation's way. So so he's not so super spiritual that he thought he could handle the temptation. No, he's got such an awareness of his, his own heart that he runs. It's no different for us today. Sexual sin is sin primarily against God. And it's important that we remember this. You see, God has designed sex for a lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. And God has given sex and marriage to be a picture of Christ and the church. And we see that when we look at sex and the marriage, uh, sex and marriage in the whole Bible. The Bible is extremely positive about sex in marriage. It begins with a marriage between Adam and Eve and sexual union that gives them children. 
In the middle of the Bible is the book of Song of Songs, and it's about the mystery and joy of sexual union between a king and his bride, and it's thrilling and beautiful and poetic. That book points forward to the New Testament revelation at the end of the Bible, and that is a great mystery. Christ will return to receive his bride. His bride is the church. And Christ and the church will be united and that union will be glorious and majestic and intimate and mind blowing. So God has given us sex as a precious foretaste of what will happen when Christ returns. So sexual sin is primarily against God's beautiful picture, God's future plan, God's pattern for sex today to honour that plan and picture. I hope we'll remember this when we're next tempted to sin sexually, either in thought or action. And listen, I, I doubt any of us would claim that we are sinless in the area of sexual sin, either in thought or action. Some of us might be struggling with the guilt of sexual sin in the past, or internet habits that seem to control us. If that's us this morning, then let me just say that God forgives and he leads us out of sin into righteousness and godly living. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It might be this morning that you need to talk to someone, either about your past or about your present sin to ask God for forgiveness, to ask him for guidance and help today. If that's the case, then please give us a call at the church office or go for a walk with a trusted Christian friend so you can pray it through together. And know this, God restores the broken years to us as we walk more closely with him. Well, that brings us to our third point this morning, and it's this anchoring ourselves in God gives us trust in difficult times. Anchoring ourselves in God gives us trust in difficult times. You might be wondering how God rewards Joseph for being so faithful. Well, having had her advances turned down by Joseph, Potiphar's wife accuses him of attempted rape and Potiphar believes her. Look at verse 19 with me. When his master heard that the story that his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. You know, in that place, Joseph could have asked, where is God in all of this? He could have had a, a massive hissy fit and said to God, look, look what I've done for you. I've been a great witness amongst the godless. I've shown you those who trust in you are, are trustworthy. I've listened to your ways and resisted temptations. And where are you now? Where are you in my prison? What have I done to, to deserve this? Well, the writer wants us to know that God is exactly where he's always been. Present with Joseph in the good times and in the bad times. You just have to compare verses 21 to 23 with verses two to six. They're, so, they're such similar verses in such similar circumstances. Both say the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. 
Both say that God granted him favour in the eyes of Potiphar and the jailer. Both say Joseph was given responsibility. Both say the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So God's hand is as much at work in Joseph when he was in prison as when he was in Potiphar's house. God's presence is not dependent on circumstances. In other words, God is always consistently there. At the beginning of the story, four times in the first four verses, the author reminds us that God's hand is guiding Joseph's circumstances. As the author speaks of the Lord doing this and the Lord doing that, and it's no accident either that Joseph ends up in prison, the king's prison. And that's a miracle because Joseph could have been executed on the spot for what he was accused of doing. But this is God's plan. So no matter how outraged Potiphar was, God protects Joseph and puts Joseph exactly where God wants Joseph to be in Pharaoh's prison. And we'll see why that's important next week. That is why Joseph is able to trust God. He's so rooted in God that even through difficult circumstances, he trusted that God was still at work behind the scenes. And that's what the writer wants to teach us. So that for us, as with Joseph, to use the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, when times are tough, we are to be patient rather than angry. When God is blessing us, we are to be grateful rather than smug. And we're to trust our gracious God and Father for the future, whatever it brings. So my prayer for us this week is that this passage helps us by sharing Joseph's life so that in the same way he did, we find ourselves anchored in God. And as we do that, let's pray that we grow in character to resist temptation and to trust God in difficult times. But let me finish on the beauty of this chapter as it drives God's plan of redemption along to that point where it finds its fulfilment in Jesus. Joseph at this stage is a type of saviour. God's plan is to get him into Pharaoh's presence to eventually become Pharaoh's prime minister, so that when famine comes, it will be Joseph who will save his own family, as well as whole nations, by his wisdom and planning. And here's the point. If Joseph had not been in this position, his own family would have died of starvation, together with countless of thousands of others. And then what would have become of God's promise? to Abraham, that from him a saviour would eventually come. So it means from a human perspective, we can say because of Joseph's faithfulness in Potiphar's palace, he was placed in Pharaoh's prison. Because of his faithfulness in Pharaoh's prison, he was placed in Pharaoh's court. And because of his faithfulness in Pharaoh's court, he saves his people from uh, from 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 death. He eventually saves the one who would become the saviour of the world. By his actions, he saves the ancestor of Christ. Putting it bluntly, Jesus was born 
because Joseph kept his trousers on and he left his cloak behind. Do you see how simple acts of faithfulness can have momentous consequences which far outlast our own lifetime? Let's never think that what we do or don't do is insignificant, because in God's plan everything is. Joseph's story tells us faithfulness counts. Being people of character where God has placed us for better or for worse counts. It teaches us to anchor ourselves in God and leave the good purposes that God intends to accomplish through us in his strong and capable hands.